Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Theora. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters. And we're here to talk about it. Cheers, queers. We are back with another super fun interview. Today, we are talking to the wonderful Anne-Marie Pace. She was a director on High School Musical, the musical, the series, amongst many other projects. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, good to be here. I am so excited. You've done so many wonderful things to enhance representation, especially on Disney, and it's, I can't wait to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. So the first question is, how did you get started directing? Yeah, yeah, I got started, well, I think I I had an interest in directing because I I grew up in Tennessee um, in a pretty small town, and you know, the representation I saw wasn't super huge or diverse. And I was um, a Mexican-American queer kid and definitely closeted at the time and just didn't get to see myself on screen as much as I wanted to growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s. So what helped me personally when we didn't have that representation on TV at that time was um, my dad is an anthropologist. And so Every summer he would take us on his research trips in Brazil and Mexico and with different indigenous tribes. And that really opened my eyes to just how different and diverse we are on this earth. And it really made me want to tell stories that could unite all of us. And and even going to these to his research trips, it, I didn't even speak speak the same language as a lot of people there, but the connection was still there and the similarities and and it was really eye opening for me even at a young age to to get to experience that. That's awesome. Such a good way to learn things about the world as a child. Oh yeah, I was definitely I felt really lucky to to get to have my dad and grow up that way. There used to be a, a cartoon, I think on Nickelodeon called The Wild Thornberries. And yeah. I saw my family. It's like, ah, that's, that's our family. <laughs> that's so cool. So one of the things when I was younger learning that there's multiple directors on shows, I, I don't know why that blew my mind, but it just didn't make sense to me. So since shows have a lot of different directors, how do you prepare when you go into a new show? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. The director is really 
the guest. They're the guest. Um, every new episode of of a show that's been going on and, you know, knows itself and the cast and the crew are all family. I, I came into High School Musical, the musical, the series in season three. So they had already really been going by that point. Um, so you kind of enter it knowing that you are the guest and it's your job to really learn about the culture and, um, you know, everybody and learn names and, and how things have worked. So you continue that. Um, and Tim Federley, who's the creator, he really wanted to bring on more uh, queer directors, young queer directors. And so he really believed on believed in me. And um, that was my first uh, directorial experience in television that he gave me for season three. And then I got brought on for two more episodes in season four. So really what he established was was uh, the culture that I learned. And, and it's just so loving and accepting and wonderful on that set that it was so easy to come in and just um, kind of follow what had already been been placed. That's so awesome. And definitely very important to have voices, uh, diverse voices doing these episodes behind the scenes. It seems like it could be very easy to have a show feel different in each episode if because of all these directors. So how do you learn the style? Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of um, studying past episodes. I know when I knew I got the job, I watched through all of season one, season two. Um, I also watched a lot of The Office because I knew uh, Tim had said he wanted to sort of lean more into the um, sort of finding funny moments, um, which The Office obviously does really well. Um, so yeah, it takes a lot of research. Um, and then I actually came and shadowed, uh, Kimberly McCullough, um, on her episode before I directed my own. And, um, she was just a great mentor and let me ask any and all questions. And yeah, I, I learned a lot through her and, and felt prepared and ready to direct my own episode when that came time. I have to say, I love your episodes. Do you have a favorite episode that you directed? (laughs) Man, it's tough because there's good things in all of them. I, uh, in season three, the first episode I directed was the uh, the real campers of Shallow Lake. And that one was just so much fun to do. It was just Frankie is a comedic genius. And <laughs> to do an episode that he was basically kind of leading and heading and in, in, um, in Carlos's character was really fun to get to do. Um, but then also season four, the I did um, uh, the Halloween episode, which was um, where Ashlyn and Maddox do a love song together. And that was really beautiful and important for me to get to do as a queer woman. And um, I when when the original High School Musical came out as as a movie, I was in high school and I was closeted at the time. Um, so to be able to years later get to direct something of the same world, only a love song between two girls was so beautiful and amazing. And yeah, I felt really lucky to get to do that one. Uh, I have to say that is my favorite episode out of the entire show, I think. And it may be because of like the, the Madeline scenes are just amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that the, they're just so cute and well done and such a pivotal moment in their relationship arc. How do you yeah. figure out how to capture that emotion while directing? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that, you know, Tim really trusted me in doing of um, telling it through the perspective of a queer woman, um, of this, this storyline and this love song between the two of them. And um, something that I, I really wanted to do and bring to that song is authenticity. And, you know, it's, it's one of the songs where we don't go into any sort of magical fantasy sequences because the love of these two uh, girls together is enough magic as it is in just the reality of what it is. So um, we left, we let it just live and breathe in, in that moment. And, and a lot of that song um, we actually recorded live on set. So normally you'll have like, you'll record um, on set, but then you'll have a track that you put in the edit. It's like studio produced, but in the scene in the in the episode that was um that was them singing live uh together and it just even in the studio like their voices just echoed and harmonized so well we we're just like wow this is a beautiful moment of course it was live i mean they're amazing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i do they're... have a very random question about that episode mm -hmm. uh was ashlyn's piano battery operated because it wasn't plugged in and that was messing with my brain. <laughs> so we didn't have it actually playing because if you record any sounds, you can't layer mm -hmm. it in the edit. So we had to have it clean. But um, she, Julia is so capable of just going right into it. And, and a lot of those moments she would just go and, and play on her own and in between shots, she would like play the piano and then everyone would karaoke together. And <laughs> so she uh, she definitely can hop right into anything and uh, and play beautiful music. Uh, but just for the sake of, of filming, we kept it off. Okay. That was a good catch. Yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't have- So it is supposed to be plugged in. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, a lot of our shots, we did we did that scene on a, on a Steadicam. And mm -hmm. so any extra wires exposed, whatever else, anything that could be dangerous for the camera person, we we take it out. So, yeah. I mean, it also wouldn't work because Maddox has to go around the piano and it just be like stepping over wires and it's fair. Totally. Just curious. Totally. <laughs> so I saw a video that you posted on social media of the filming in the rain, which is basically just Ooh. a huge rain tower, I'm assuming, unless you can control the rain. <laughs> what yeah. is it like having to use rain in a scene because it looked very cold <laughs> yeah that that just goes to show how professional joshua bassett and sophia wiley are because it was freezing it was we were filming in salt lake city um in october uh, by the end i think either that day or the next day it snowed <laughs> so it was very very cold um, luckily, we worked with the um, the rain operator to make sure that the rain was had at least some heat in it. It was heated, okay. um, but by the time it falls on you, it's still cold, and then the environment's still cold. Um, so yeah, the the two of them did that very cold, and and right after we hit cut, we wrapped them in blankets and towels and um, and all that. But they, they no, the two of them, they're just such great sports, and they work so well together so they just had so much fun with it <laughs> and really um enjoyed that moment and we're ready for for take after take of of getting wet in the rain how long did that take to film 
It was a lot of prep. And okay. then the actual shooting of it, we did, I think, three takes. Three or four takes was the most we did. But um, I had, like, mapped it out, uh, exact, like, camera positions and shared with the camera operator. And then I sat down with um, with Joshua and Sophia and kind of showed them what they'd be doing where. So they had, like, a good idea of what was happening. Um, and then, yeah, so so going into it, everyone knew what they were, were doing. Uh, so the moment that we called action and the rain came down, we went for it. Okay. So they didn't, they didn't have to spend it too soaked, like too right. long. <laughs> right, 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 right. It was those takes and then they got to drop and we did it towards the end of the day. So they wouldn't have to be, you know, cold. Um, so yeah. Something else that I saw, which I think is a wonderful, is that you are part of the first season of Disney Launchpad. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, Disney Launchpad was fantastic. It um, It is a program that's designed to uh, give diverse writer and directors an opportunity to make a short film uh, that premieres on Disney Plus. It's like in a, in a group of shorts. Um, Pixar did it with with animated shorts. They have like a, a group of animated shorts that they do every year. So they decided to do a live action version um, from writer directors. So in order to pl apply, we had to like uh, write a short film idea um, and sort of pitch it and then go through these interview processes. So there's a group of six of us that got selected that first year. Um, and we kind of spent the year just working on our scripts and, and getting to work with all the different departments of Disney between like Disney locations, Disney cast, and um, really develop something with a studio that was from a diverse perspective and from a diverse voice. Um, so that was fantastic that Disney allowed us to do that and really kind of share our stories in a way that we felt was most authentic. Um, there were very little notes in terms of like the story of, of, the authenticity of the story, um, which was really, really cool. So you, did you have to like do everything for it? Yeah. So we had to come up with the idea. Um, I think now they changed it to where writers can apply and directors can apply and they merge you together. But the first year I did it, you had to be a writer director and, and write your story and then direct it. Um, so yeah, we did everything from world building to um, working with our um, our crew, production designers, cinematographer to to bring these worlds to life. Sounds like a great boot camp type opportunity, <laughs> like just exactly. throw you into it. Yeah, yeah. And the the short that I did, it was I uh, had finished it right before I directed. Um, an episode of High School Musical, the series. So it was a perfect like stepping stone into that. All of your projects seem to revolve around diversity and inclusivity, just naturally being included in the story. What makes you passionate about having this ample representation? Oh, it's so important. It's so important. And it's, it's something I didn't have. It's, you know, I didn't come out as bisexual, as queer until I was 25 years old. And I think about all that time when I was young and just not being able to see myself. And, and when you don't see yourself, when you don't see queer characters on screen, 
um, their lack of presence makes you think that our stories are not important. And that's really harmful uh, to sort of internalize as youth. And it's so important for me now that I'm at a position where I can create content and sort of change the landscape, it's my top priority to, to make more and more content that shows just queer joy and queer diversity. Um, yeah, yeah. I know we're all grateful, but I know I'm personally grateful for it because you really don't see that, especially growing up watching Disney Channel. I mean, now now it's more common, which is so great. But it it took me to watching One Day at a Time and seeing Elena's storyline that helped me be comfortable with myself. And it's just so important for people to see and just like positive and not people dying. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Our our lives are not full of tragedy. There's so much joy and it's important uh, for others to, to get to see that. Yeah. I think High School Musical, the musical, the series definitely show the joy. Absolutely. Yeah. And then another comment I wanted to make, uh, I absolutely loved Growing Fangs, which was your project for the launch pad. And, but one of the things I love the most is not even about like the queer representation. It was that a plus sized actress was cast as the lead. Mm. And I, you always see like size zero people when I was growing up and I never had the confidence in myself to like even pursue acting, even though I loved it because it was just like, there's no part for me. So I just, mm. I love that that was also included. Oh, absolutely. And that was even just, Kayla was the one, the, the actress who played Val of that short, she, it was a no-brainer when we saw her audition, like, she just shined, and I sent it to the execs, and right away, they saw how amazing she was, and now she's doing huge things, she's on Abbott Elementary, she's on Curb Your Enthusiasm, so yeah, yeah, it's like, it was, it was a no-brainer that she just was the star of that, of that short. She was so great. Comedic timing is awesome. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. She's um, an amazing actor and also just a great human, which is great. In another win for the queers, you also directed Disney Plus's first This Is Me Pride Celebration Spectacular yes. that featured a few people we've talked about on this podcast, including Joe Serafini, Frankie Rodriguez, Alex mm -hmm. Newell, and Haley Kiyoko. What was that like? Amazing. It was so cool to get to do that. I I had done music videos in the past, but to get to work with queer musicians that I listened to and um, loved was so cool. And everyone was just awesome on that set. Um, Haley was really, really just cool and casual to work with. And it's just always great to get to see people that you admire and just see that they're awesome people in real life. Um, and yeah, and to get to join that, the, these queer artists singing Disney songs, um, and for example, like Hayley Kiyoko did Kiss the Girl, um, but obviously it was a queer, she, she didn't change the pronoun, it was the girl still, and, and to get to sort of see these stories that we grew up with through a queer lens is really healing and just furthers, you know, the idea that queer love is wholesome love. And, and it's a message that I think needs to be spread more and more. 
That's that's amazing. I just I love everything that you're doing, especially like because Disney definitely needs th- this going in the oh my gosh, hold on. Disney needs a step in the right direction and you are definitely helping them take that. And I just love everything you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So not only are you a director, but like we talked about a little bit before, you are also a writer and you are writing the screenplay adaptation of the book, Her Name in the Sky. Can you talk about that project a little bit? Oh, I'm so excited about this project. This book, um, uh, it's a book about a girl growing up in Baton Rouge in Louisiana um, in Catholic high school. And she falls in love with her best friend, Baker, um, realizes she's queer and is sort of internally trying to figure out what that means to be both queer and Catholic. Um, and when I read this book, it just hit me in such a personal way. I went to Catholic school. I also had been, you know, struggling with what, what it means to be both. Um, and this book sort of spoke to me in a way that, um, presented that in a whole new, in a whole new light. Um, so I reached out to the author of the book, Kelly Quindlin, and the two of us ended up talking, um, and somebody else was actually pitching for, for her book rights. And so I came in at a good time because I also had a pitch. So we had multiple pitches uh, for these book rights. But I think the fact that it was something I had so personally experienced and connected with that Kelly felt um, that it was the right person to tell the story. Um, so yeah, we're, we're working on the script right now and it's, it's, uh, it's been one of the most fulfilling things to get to really break this story. And, and I'm so excited for, for, um, hopefully one day when the film can be released. How do you approach turning a book into a film script? Yeah. Yeah. This, um, was my first adaptation of, of book to script and it's been such an exciting and interesting challenge. The good thing is, you know, a lot of times when when you have a writer adapting a book, you um, you don't work super close with the author. Like you kind of like, okay, now it's movie mindset, so we're just going to do movie. But the fact that Kelly and I had both experienced the story so personally, and this it, it was a very personal story for her, obviously fictional characters, but something that she had gone through. Um, the two of us working together um, has been really poignant and powerful with with figuring this story out. Um, So that's just been a gift to be able to call the author and be like, okay, what do you think about this? Or I'm thinking about this. Um, Do you think that's true to the characters? Um, Yeah, it's been a a great tool to have. That's that's really cool. Uh, Our podcast just covered Red, White and Royal Blue, which is also a adaptation of a book and we talked about how similar and the differences of the film to the book so how do you figure out what needs to stay and what to leave behind and not put in a script yeah you know that's that's definitely one of the the hardest parts about it because even as a you know, a writer director coming into this with a film set mind, I fell in love with the book. <laughs> so I want to put everything in the book in the movie and we have like a four or five hour movie. So that's not possible. Um, so you really do. We'd watch to, it. 
yeah yeah we'll do an extended version um but no you do have to have to pick and choose to make sure you're making the best decisions for a movie that's gonna move forward and and engage audiences and um hopefully engage um even more than just the the fan base it's it's attracted with the book like to really spread this message out um to a wide audience so yeah you have to pick and choose but it's also exciting because you no matter what even with picking and choosing if you keep the heart of the story true it's really cool to see how a different interpretation of the same story can be just as powerful and just as you know like it's 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 almost like magical to see a good story is a good story and it can be told in so many different ways and and that's cool to see I can't wait. <laughs> uh, my last question is, is there a story that you hope that you get to tell one day? Oh, so many. <laughs> There's so many. Yeah, it's it's really important to me to um, tell more queer stories that can, can play on um, family and children content to show that our lives are wholesome. Uh, I think a lot of times the argument you'll you get from people is like oh they don't sexualize our kids but my response to that is like why are you sexualizing us like that's not what's happening like my relationship with my with my wife most of the time we're just on the couch watching netflix and matching pajamas with our two chihuahuas like that's as pg as you can get so um it's important for me to show how um how wholesome queer love is um and also just queer joy like i want to do more rom-coms i want to do um a queer wedding film with two women i want to do a a queer what it's like to um have children between two women um i i think these stories like they have so much uh humanness to them and and relatability and um joy and humor that i think yeah it's there's a lot of stories I, i'm very excited to tell so basically all the things that the straight people have been getting let's give it to the queers yeah <laughs> it's time it's it's a long past time we have a lot of catching up to do from the film industry being around for over 100 years and only these last couple of years have we have we really seen queer representation start to grow so a lot of catching up yeah <laughs> and you brought up that people like sexualize it and don't want it in media because of that then those people are the same ones who will ask like a kindergartner do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend yet exactly that's it's, exactly true that's what's weird <laughs> yeah yeah and it's so important like i have a niece now who's gonna be entering school soon and like she wants to be able to see her aunts represented, you know, on TV and um, be able to point at her tia and be like, ah, see, that's two women can be together. And um, yeah, it's 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 really important to to show a diverse. There's so many ways you can have a family and um, the a queer family with queer parents is is a representation that needs to be seen more. Definitely. 
Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, me today, us as a collective. Um, <laughs> do you have any final words for the listeners at home before we wrap up our discussion? Yeah, I just, you know, I want to say thank you for doing this pod, doing this um, program and podcast. And it's so important to um, be able to make content and pitch that there's an audience for it and there's people that want to see this and and having um, this sort of uh, outlet where you are, are talking about queer content is really important for us as creators to be able to show studio execs and be like, see, like this is what's wanted. Um, so thank you for, for using your voice and I will do everything in my power to make sure your voices get heard. Thank you. Uh, if you ever need more support, we'll go into meetings with you. Be like, we need this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, listen, these stories need to get told. And here's why. No, exactly. Well, you are stuck with us as fans. Now we will be following everything you do because yeah. so far your work has been amazing. Well, Thank you that. again for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it and love getting to know you better. And I'm sure the audience does as well. To everyone at home listening, make sure to check out High School Musical, the musical, the series, and Growing Fangs, streaming on Disney+. And until next time, hydrate for lesbian Jesus and gay it up all over the place. Bye. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod or email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media-loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.